When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Folks, before we get into the show, wanted to tell you that you can save 15% at SodaStick.com by using the promo code PURPLEINSIDER at checkout. That's S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com for your Minnesota sports-inspired hats, hoodies, shirts. Use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER at SodaStick.com. to another episode of Purple Insider, and uh, I found the one man that Pro Football Focus did not take to LA to do Radio Row, and has time to chat with us. That is Kevin Cole of Pro Football Focus. Kevin, until recently, did you know this? I don't know if I told you that your episode with me early in this season um, had set the record for most downloads and stayed there until the Vikings fired their coaches, and it was you breaking down Kirk Cousins' stats, which I guess... Shouldn't be all that surprising. So welcome back, Kevin. Yeah, yeah. It was just um, Kevin O'Connell listening to it over and over again uh, a thousand times. And then afterwards, he's just convinced that Kirk, you know, Kirk's his guy going forward, it looks like. <laughs> all right. So uh, let's start right there. Because, I mean, you you just, your ability to analyze numbers within the context of actual football is something that makes you stand out as an analyst. Um, now if you're Quasi Adafo Mensa, which we assume has this same talent of numbers combined with football, a footballness and a front office, and you're looking at cousins numbers and you're in a meeting with a bunch of scouts and your analytics department, and you're presenting his numbers and you say, all right, folks, here's all the numbers on Kirk cousins. What do we think about this? Like, what does this tell us about our decision? Like, what do you think the response would be? Yeah, I think it's going to be varied. Uh, I think it's going to be very depending upon what sort, what you want to get out of your quarterback, whether you want someone who can execute or whether you want someone who can create, whether you want someone who's going to be good in particular situations versus others, whether you have a particular offense in mind that you want to implement and if he'll be the person for that. I mean, I think with what he's shown is he can competently, very competently uh, execute what you want to do, especially in the system that they've had him in, a heavy play-action system. So in that way, I think it's good. Uh, it probably also comes to philosophically whether you believe that you know, the conversation shifts almost on a weekly basis as to what you quote-unquote need in a quarterback. After the Josh Allen-Patrick Mahomes shootout, you know, there were articles saying, you know, scrap going for your normal traditional pocket passer who can game manager, who can execute, you need one of these Superman extra extraordinary athletes who can do things like no one else can do on the planet. And then now we have Joe Burrow in the championship game, who is a good athlete, not the greatest arm. And now he's, he's, we're talking about him being the next Tom Brady and how he's going to be the face of the league, which kind of goes against what we just heard. So it's going to change on a week by week basis. It's going to change on exactly who you're talking to. The other thing is that a lot of times what the Kirk discussion comes down to is, well, do you believe in the stats or do you believe in the wins or do you believe in the leadership, toughness, uh, ballerness, swags type of thing? But 
I, I don't know that that's really necessary to find the gaps in why they haven't gotten as much out of them. And there's the cap situation as part of it. But also, I think when you look under a microscope, the one thing that's really hard to find is anything great. Like you find a lot of really good. And so when you put it all together, you're like, oh, well, you know, he was ninth in this statistic and 13th in that number. And I mean, think about where they've been in scoring since he's been here this year, they were 14th. Like that's not terrible. And they were eighth in 2019. But the problem is with most of these quarterbacks, you can usually find something where you're like, whoa, Matt Stafford over the last whatever number of years is number one in third and longs. Like he averages 12 yards an attempt in third and longs. That's crazy. That's the one thing that's always been missing for me is that even if you don't want to go down the path of whether someone is a winner or not, it's just hard to find something that would say, okay, this is the part of his game that takes you there. If you're on the cusp, if you're supposed to be, if you're a 10 and seven 53 man roster, well, what's going to take you to 12 or 13. And you can't really find that in his numbers. Yeah, I mean, you you can find very high quality numbers when we talk about these efficiency stats, these rate stats, because even a PFF grade, it is a rate stat. It's a per play grade that's calculated. And then you figure out what someone's grade is. Now, if you're Kirk Cousins and you're throwing the ball 30, 30 something times a game versus you're Josh Allen, you're throwing the ball 45 times a game. It's not going to affect those putting those two numbers side by side next to each other. But there's a signal in that. And sometimes it can be the coaches. I mean, coaches are fallible, obviously. Um, but there is something to maybe a Kirk Cousins or a Jimmy Garoppolo or others who have these great rate stats. But if their coaches are not willing to press on them and to lean on them, then that in and of itself is a downtick. And I, again, the coaches could be wrong or could be pressing too far in that direction, but it's you can't just ignore it. And you can't say, well, Kirk Cousins is a top 10 quarterback because he has top 10 metrics in these two categories when he's not being used like a top 10 quarterback would be used by the coaches. Is this the, so? I made this comparison of three point shooters of the guy who does the set three point shots from the corner versus Steph Curry who can do them anywhere. And that I think that that's appropriate. And the question is if you have the three point shooter in the corner who is sort of only supposed to shoot when he catches it and he's wide open, can you win with that? And that they, because everything draws back to that as we go through this. Sometimes I think that we get lost a little bit in the well, I like Cousins, so I think this stat tells the truth, and I don't like him, so I think that the winner thing tells the truth. But we always should be connecting this to what would be best for the franchise to win and go to the Super Bowl. And it feels like it's really hard if you don't have some element of the Steph Curryness. Yeah, I mean, it's hard, but... You know, Bengals fans are not very happy with me recently, but I mean, I will say that despite all of these things that we talk about with Joe Burrow and Joe Burrow, you know, he had the number one PFF grade so far this year. But as far as how efficient he was during the season, it wasn't quite as much because of sacks largely. And then how efficient he was in the playoffs, it really wasn't quite as much. I mean, this is a team that kind of scraped by to get there. So you can get there. It's just you have fewer outs. Other things have to go right. Other parts of your game have to be ha have to be going right. You can't bail your he can't even bail himself out, essentially, in some circumstances if other things aren't working. So for that reason, needing to string together multiple wins in a system now which only has one buy team. Yeah, it makes it really, really difficult. But then what's your alternative in these in these circumstances? Your alternative can be to 
you know, throw a Hail Mary and spend three draft picks to go get a Trey Lance or someone like that. But that's not a guarantee for how well that they'll perform going forward. So I think with the quarterback, unfortunately, the, the, the problems with maybe increasing the Vikings chances to get to the Super Bowl, there are lots of things that can be done outside of the quarterback. A lot of it gets put on the quarterback. So I think when you have that that piece in place, unless you have a great alternative, it's really about just deriving and squeezing all the value you can get in other places. And that's probably somewhere where the Vikings have fell down a little bit with the continuation of trying to run it back season after season at increasingly higher costs. Right. And that's the question always with Cousins that we get back to. And uh, there's no way around it. You know, you feel like a broken record saying it, but there's no way around it is to say, how does Quasi Adolfo Mensa? Maybe that's a, a better question is if they do decide to stick with Cousins because they don't feel like any of these draft picks are a better answer, which they felt like with Mac Jones last year and probably should have drafted him. But uh, but if that's the case. They built around him the last two years pretty poorly. Like you said, they tried to do these all in type of things. They trade for Yanni Kagakwe. Like, I don't get it. A fourth round prick for Chris Herndon. That worked out. Um, but is, is there a path to doing that? Because sometimes we act like, and I'm guilty of this. There's no way to possibly build a team around an expensive quarterback unless that quarterback is elite. Um, but is there a path? Yeah, I mean, I think there is a path. I think what you have to do is – this is kind of the general game in the NFL, period. When it comes to drafting, when it comes to free agency moves, when it comes to whatever, you're going to want to concentrate on positions that are going to give you relatively more value when you're spending either high draft capital or you're spending high money on them. So you want to concentrate there. And, so, and you want to be able to fill other positions where you can get competent and sometimes – top-notch play more likely from spending less at, at those at those positions and if you you know if you accumulate these moves if you just do them over and over and over again you don't have to hit on every single one but the more times you you execute that plan purposefully and i know that Quasi's hopefully going to be that that guy he's like this empirically minded guy he wants to be intentional about his decision making if you make an intentional decision each time you make a decision you don't reach for something you don't do necessarily the easy thing in every circumstance you're not looking to have the one last piece of the puzzle because there is no one last piece of the puzzle it's always accumulating more and more pieces to give you an incrementally better chance of winning if you do that then you have to hope on top of all that you, you get lucky, basically. But you want you kind of this is one of these situations where you make your own luck. You make your own luck by making decisions that are going to be right more often than they're going to be wrong versus what other teams do. Right. And everything is a bet. So when yes. it comes to the cousins thing, the here's the bet. It's do you decide that you're going to uh, have to thread a very thin needle, which is not impossible, but difficult. And no one's been able to do it with cousins yet, which is like you said make these intentional decisions, get lucky in the draft, make very savvy signings, which are always out there still. Every year, somebody gets somebody good for two million bucks. And you go like, wow, why did that guy? I don't, you know, Melvin Ingram was like this. Or uh, right. what was it, Casey Hayward? Like, why isn't anyone paying Casey Hayward? I don't know. But uh, so that does happen. But you got to be the team that gets a lot of those. Or is it a better bet, in your opinion, to go with the let's draft somebody and see what happens. And then if it fails, we draft somebody else and see what happens. Uh, I mean, it would be nice to know what the trade market is like for Kirk Cousins. I think that comes down to part of it in this situation. Um, 
I don't know. I, I really have no clue what, what that might be. And the Vikings have been stuck in this range. As you mentioned, maybe they could have gotten someone like, like Mac Jones, but you wouldn't have necessarily known that Mac Jones was going to be, was, was going to be there at that, at that point in time also. Um, but yeah, I, I think you could think about drafting a quarterback. I do think we're at the point now in Cousins' contract where bringing in someone, even if you're thinking about potentially retaining him, maybe isn't the worst option ever also, especially if you want to bring in someone and look at them during the summer and then see if you can trade Cousins at the end of the summer, a la um, you know, a, a Sam Bradford type of trade at the end of the summer if you, can, if you can move on from him. So yeah, I think those are all options. It's just really just going to depend on what – your your opportunity cost is for, for doing those types of options. I think this year we clearly do not have a top quarterback. It might be a little bit more difficult, though, because at least I haven't really gone through team by team, but I think there are quite a few more teams when we start to put in the Steelers, the Saints, the Bucks, others that have cores that you could say are one player away, which is which is starting to make me think there's two different things there. One, the, the the draft market might be a little bit hotter for these quarterbacks than what you would have had in a normal year. And number two, I don't know, maybe the trade market for Kirk Cousins is, is a little bit better because of that too, if someone wants to install him in there. So yeah, it's really just weighing those two things against each other. And I don't think there's an answer. I don't think you should force any one particular thing to happen without knowing what those variables are. If they were to get a first round pick for Cousins, I don't know how you can turn that down considering how it didn't work for the past regime, uh, considering all the needs you have on your roster, especially on the defensive side. And and, and we're going to get into this, but just the general inability of the NFL to decide which quarterbacks are going to be good. I think that that increases your case to say, we don't really know. And we'll talk about some of your uh, studies on these quarterbacks who are coming out, but we just don't really have a good idea so you can always build around that person if it's a hit though. And that's the thing you, you mentioned the no sure thing. And I, I don't know what is a sure thing when you're, when you're doing anything, right? Like they're, they right. have drafted guys that I thought were great picks that blew up. They've drafted guys that I thought were terrible picks that turned out to be good. I mean, I thought Brian O'Neill, like what a goofy pick this guy who's a tight end size at the end of the second round. Why didn't you draft a first round guard? What is your problem? And then the guy's like the third best player on the team. So uh, the uncertainty element of it weighs really heavily to me. Yeah, I mean, if you could get a first-round pick for him, I think that's compelling. Uh, however much cap you may need to eat probably as a secondary consideration, I would think here, uh, being that you're going to be locked in anyway. And I think the problem – so th this is the big the big picture issue when it comes to Cousin in this, this year decision. You don't want to necessarily make – a one-year decision into a three-year decision. Because if you decide to bring Kirk Cousins back for one year, it becomes very tempting to then say, you know what we're going to do? Let's restructure your contract. Let's bring down that cap number this season, and let's figure out the best three-year plan with Kirk Cousins instead of the best one-year plan with Kirk Cousins. Um, so that's the one thing I would really be against because I just don't think you want to limit your flexibility at, in any situation here. That would be my number one thing. Don't limit your flexibility. Don't limit what you can look at. And that would be the one thing that would really be an X to me to say, you're, you're limiting not only what you can do this offseason, but next potentially next offseason and the offseason after that. Right. If they stay with Cousins on a one-year deal and draft a quarterback, um, I mean, or even just wait and see until 2023, that to me isn't as exciting. Um, well, I mean, for the content, of course, if they draft a quarterback, it's super fun, but yeah. uh, we'll set new records after that. But 
even just getting a year to look at that player, like clearly Green Bay did not look at Jordan Love as Aaron Rodgers backup and go, can't wait to see him in there. Like they yeah, were just yeah. down on their knees saying, please come back, Aaron. Uh, yeah. If 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 Jordan Love had looked incredible, they probably would have you know done that. So if you're the Vikings and you draft Desmond Ritter or something, and he comes in as your backup and looks great in practice, which they can get a lot out of and training camp and all that and you keep cousins, then you could do the Alex Smith type of thing and then hand the ball over to the next guy. And then if he's not good, then you can make the decision later what you want to do there. Or if cousins is Kevin O'Connell's best friend of all time and wins MVP and they go to the Super Bowl, then you know that you, it is possible. Um, so I've never been against that option. It just feels like to me, it's sort of kicking the ball down the road on a team that is not good enough to win at this moment without a major overhaul of a lot of different pieces. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I don't disagree with, with that assessment, but at the same time, even if you keep cousins around, there are other moves around the periphery you can start to make, to make it a, not a total, no, not a total rebuild, but a quasi repositioning for what would happen with, let's say a, a rookie quarterback on, on the roster at that point in time. Cause um, at least, I don't know if we, we don't we, we don't have uh, the exact opinion from Zimmer in here, but I'm going to say he's not so high on Kellen Mond right now as potentially being <laughs> being that guy next season. Uh, I'm I get a lot of questions about Mond, and I just I don't want to be insulting because he's a young quarterback who was picked in the third round. Okay, like from the very beginning, this was never really a thing that was going to be a thing, but boy was it bad in, in in training camp and if it didn't change by worlds in practice they should have played Sean Mannion that was the right decision and that's he's not a part of the the long term type of thing um but i was going to say what did you say quasi re what was it what did what did you say i don't even know what i don't even know what i said quasi, uh, re 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 it wasn't re, with rebuild repositioning i don't know or something repositioning yeah i was I'm trying say, to I'm inventing new words here. I was going to say that uh, Quasi needs to borrow that when we ask him about (laughs) rebuilding. It's like, well, it's more of a quasi repositioning. It sounds yeah. I don't know. Quasi probably isn't even necessary there. It's probably just a repositioning. But yeah, let's let's go. Let's go for it. Well, let's talk about this quarterback draft class and what some of the numbers say because um, I I realized that me talking about how nobody knows what they're doing when it comes to scouting quarterbacks is. It's not even close to draft time yet, and I've already gotten uh, over the top with it. Like yeah. I, I've gotten to the point where I look up every former, like or every great quarterback and their draft profiles, and go through all the hilarious criticisms, including Derek Carr's tiny hands recently. But um, mm-hmm. like, like what what are the, what does the data say in terms of how strong or weak this actually is? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's hard to say that the performance, the on-field performance data can tell you more about how strong it is than just what the perception is and where you're expecting these guys to be drafted. I mean, that is the most important thing. And it's really just separating between that, how much you're augmenting off of that, whether you can get ideas about guys who are clearly overvalued because of certain traits or clearly undervalued because of certain traits or certain attributes or how they've they've played. So I think what we can say, though, is if we do just look at this statistically, it is 
kind of a second tier type of class. There is no first tier prospect when it comes to either our grading or if it comes to an efficiency metric, if you want to use something like expected points added, I've done adjustments based upon the opponents that have been faced there. And even then when you add these adjustments, no one's getting up in a, in a very, very high level. But I think what's more important sometimes is to dig in, into the internals and how these guys play. And I'm becoming more and more interested in trying to pick out particular styles of play that have translated better to the NFL, either because like college play is so easy sometimes with the mismatches that you can have that you try to find types of plays where you're not having those mismatches. And I think that replicates the pro game a little bit better. But the problem is whenever you do something like that, you're, you're, you're decreasing the evidence that you're looking at further and further and further. And then it can be deceptive. It's not going to be that stable necessarily going forward when you're just looking at smaller and smaller slices of what they've done. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Right. That's always the hard thing because I was looking at what you were saying about guys who scrambled in college yeah. and how effective they were at that. Um, and maybe you could talk a little more about that because I think that anyone who's watched the last four years of Kirk Cousins, everyone would agree this guy throws a nice football. But the one thing that is sort of impossible to squeeze more out of the orange or whatever the saying is, is with his mobility. Like it's just not there. And when you start to look at the, even the escapability, when he's sort of in the clutches, it does not happen at all. There's no running whatsoever. Like Joe Burrow, um, who didn't score particularly well on your data from college, but he converted what three third downs in that game against Kansas city because he took off. Patrick Mahomes is not fast and runs really funny actually, and gained like 50 yards in the game against Buffalo, because that's a, a part of some of these guys game. And I think that with defensive lines being as ruthless as they are in the NFL blitzes being as, as effective as they are coming from all over the place with new innovations all the time from defensive minds, it just seems really necessary that escapability more than even running uh, would be valuable. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's like functional mobility is what you're using there. And what it does is, it, I mean, it, it gives you another out for a, for a successful play. There, the, the, the means with which you can get a successful play, adding scrambling to that is a huge, huge function. Or even being able to add throwing effectively on the run is another way where you're saying you're extending the play. I mean, when you look at for instance, I've looked at these different numbers, like for, for how many sacks some guys are taking versus how often they're pressured. I mean, if you look at the time to throw for guys like Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, I mean, they hold the ball a very, very long time, but they're not taking a lot of sacks because it is a strategic 
element of their game, but it's an element that you can't have if you can't move like that. It's it's pretty you could almost say a guy like Baker Mayfield and Russell Wilson. I think they're very, very similar players, but Russell Wilson, by having that escapability that Baker doesn't have, it just gives him an extra element to his game that you, that you can't overcome. So I think that's becoming more and more important. And then, of course, offenses are structuring that more and more on there. And they're also building into their practice reps and others to say, this is when we're going to escape. We're going to have this part of our game plan is to escape and scramble in these circumstances. Right. And then how the receivers react, because yes. with the Vikings, if there's pressure, it's like if it, the ball doesn't come out quick, the receivers might as well just go back to the sideline. There is, there is no second level to that. But with Wilson, I remember uh, maybe it was Lockett who was talking about this, about how he and Russell Wilson just understand each other. Like, here's what you do when he rolls left, when he goes backwards, when he's rolling right. And they're just finding different ways to get open on the move. And those things, those things create extra downs. Like the Vikings ranking 24th and third down percentage since 2018. That's a quarterback stat to me. That's not like Delvin cook is not usually running on third and five or third and seven. Right. And, and that sort of tells you about like, that's when the defensive ends pin their ears back. The defensive coordinators spend all week dialing up the third down stuff. And that's where one of the reasons I think the Vikings defense has struggled more. I think, I mean, other than, you know, falling apart um, personnel wise, but I think that like there's these little edges that you're looking for. If you're going to draft a quarterback that maybe Kirk sort of teaches you about. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I mean, the problem is not only do we have, kind of limited data on the quarterbacks that are in college. We have to, to a degree, fairly limited data of the quarterbacks. Once they come into the NFL, I mean, only so few quarterbacks are drafted in the first round. So many changes have happened to the NFL systems that, you know, how is that also being incorporated in the success or lack of success that we've seen? So I do think you know, there, there is also a possibility that, the success that that we've seen from quarterbacks who have displayed the ability to scramble and the ability to also to perform under pressure in college. And that's some stuff that I've been looking at a lot um, and to avoid sacks in college. So some of the some of these characteristics that we have, whether it is a Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, a Kyler Murray, Jackson, somewhat um, Joe Burrow, somewhat. You know, whether it is the, those sorts of guys, if that's a sticky point going forward, we're still only talking about a handful of players, but at least there is a logical sense to, to what they're doing. And there, it is kind of like a real attributes and a real theme that you can see amongst those guys who have been successful versus maybe your Josh Rosens, your Baker Mayfields, your Daniel Joneses to a degree uh, and so on. So does anybody stick out to you then as you're looking at these numbers for this year's draft class? It's hard in this one. I mean, I think... The two guys who have displayed the most value add when it comes to being able to scramble or to run. Um, I mean, Malik Willis is probably the obvious guy that the people are thinking about when it comes to that, that sort of mold. Uh, but also Matt Corral is, has been pretty effective when he's been doing that. He's smaller. He's, you know, only a little bit over 200 pounds. He's six one. He's not like, he's not a big framed guy like Willis who may get that kind of, kind of Josh Allen type of mold when he's been doing it. So I think those two guys, the guys have been effective. Now Corral has been much better, at least over the last season when it came to thing like sack avoidance and how he's performed under pressure. It's, but it's a weird thing with him because, his grading for us under pressure has been poor, but his results have been pretty good under, under pressure. So I think that he's made some big mistakes. And I think he's also made plays, which 
there's always a give and take between grading and and the efficiency statistics because sometimes we'll say a play is a quote unquote zero on a play. We won't give someone any credit for it. But you know, if you avoid a sack, if you scramble around and then you make an easy throw, not everyone can do that. So it's it's doing those sorts of things. You know, Patrick Mahomes doesn't necessarily grade particularly well for us in recent years, too, sometimes because it's those types of things where you run around a whole bunch, you then you make a play where it's not the most difficult play. It's not a Russell Wilson, you know, dropping it on a dime 30 yards down the field, but it's a play that 90% of quarterbacks can't make leading up to the throw. Right. And that's what I always urge with people is every one of these statistics, whether it's a PFF grade or quarterback rating or anything else, it all requires a bunch of context to understand what ingredients are being thrown in the pot to come out with this statistic to try and glean some truth or evidence out of it, which I was going to ask you. So, of course, uh, at all times during the offseason, I have the PFF draft guide up in front of me. Right. Um, it's just, it's just, it's a tab. I am the worst with the tabs. I don't know if you're this guy too. One, two, I'm three, actually pretty, four. pretty good about that. I'm, I I'm a clear out my inbox, clear out my text message, uh, type of t- type of anal person, I guess. Mm. I have 13 tabs open as we speak right now. And the only reason and you tw- see what's on the tabs by the top, or are they so squished that you can't have any, you have to scroll through them all to figure out what you're actually looking for. I, I know where Streamyard is, which is what we're recording this on. Cause it's got a little duck. <laughs> But I can't okay, see Okay, so you can at least words. see the duck. I wonder if you can get it tall and small enough. You can't even yes. see that. But yeah. And I can also see where my PFF uh, draft guide is to quickly reference it. But as I look through these different numbers, so you've got a lot of things to, to look at. You've got your grades, your Mike Renner analysis and things like that. But there's all sorts of different statistics, adjusted completion percentage, depth of target, big time throws, like lots of stuff, which is great as we get closer and closer um, to be able to look at different parts of someone's game. But what is meaningful within those statistics from someone's college results as we look at these quarterbacks? Yeah, I mean, it, for these don't statistics, say nothing, Kevin. Because yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to say nothing. I'm not going to say nothing. <laughs> but you know, I have my I have my own system also going on over here. So it's it's like one of those things where sometimes this will happen where people will try to like dunk on me on Twitter. They'll be like, well you have so-and-so as the number one rated quarterback. I'm like, you know, news to me that I own PFF. Like I should tell Chris Collinsworth, he needs to start sending me some checks uh, basically of what's going on here. But, uh, but you know, the, the, the important information, so I'm looking through some of these statistics that we have on there. I mean, I think, um, these pressure rates and pressure to sack, I found as being more and more important on here because sack avoidance seems to be something it's one of the metrics that i'm looking at where i look at quarterbacks and i say based upon their pressure rate uh what is their expected sack rate based upon the pressure rate based upon how long they hold the ball what's their expected sack rate and what is the actual sack rate and when you find that it's low on that basis i think it shows a couple of different things one it shows that they might be a quarterback who knows how to invite pressure. And again, that's when I talk about these guys like a Patrick Mahomes, like a Josh Allen, like a Deshaun Watson. They take a lot of pressure, but they don't necessarily take a lot of sacks because they, they're they inviting pressure in order to accomplish a goal, right? Um, but, but then you don't want to take a sack as part of that. And I think it also shows your ability to – turn a pressure into a, into a positive play by avoiding a sack or delaying the sack too. So that's one thing that I've gone there. And again, that's something that Corral has, has probably been the best in uh, according to these numbers. Um, Cause you don't want to just look at 
plays when they're not pressured and as far as whether they're taking a sack or not, because that's mostly an offensive line sort of statistic. So I think that's good. And I don't know if we have their pressure grading split out here, but again, they're grading under pressure. And what I've looked at is I tried to, to normalize these things by saying, this is how efficient they are. I'm looking at expected points added. This is how efficient they are from a clean pocket. What would you expect their efficiency to be when pressured it, it, based on the fact that they're this efficient from a clean pocket. So that kind of normalizes like teammates and normalizes defenses that they've faced and normalizes everything else. And if they're performing at a higher level under pressure than you would expect based upon how well they perform from a clean pocket, that again is a signal to me that under pressure, they know how to use pressure to perform. And that's going to be more similar to what they're going to face in the NFL than it is when they're sitting back in a clean pocket, you know, patting the ball four times and throwing it down the field in college. Right. So I used to think that intermediate grade was really important, but then it sort of came along to, well, a lot of that can be schemed, you know, like play actions Mm -hmm. or RPOs. Those are kind of intermediate throws. And then you think, well, deep throws, sometimes there's not enough of them. Short throws are screens. (laughs) Like, wait, do I, do any of the throws matter? I'm not even sure we can't like parse those out. Um, So I think that this way of looking at it is really interesting because in the NFL, you are under pressure quickly all the time And you have to do something about it. Now, Kirk Cousins or Tom Brady, these quarterbacks who don't move, like one of the things they've done about it is they just try to read their, you know, the defense and get it out as fast as they can. I think Brady's pocket presence is underappreciated historically. It's thought of as a statue, but him and Peyton Manning, they avoided sacks and they moved around. But a lot of times later in his career, it's getting the ball out quickly. That's not something Kirk is amazing at, but he's not bad. When you blitz him, I think his numbers are pretty good. Um, but I just think the league in general is getting faster at pressuring. And I don't know if this is actual evidence statistically or not, but I looked back even five, six years at what the grades were for offensive linemen. And they were better than they are now. Like the, the whole, the totality of offensive line play has gone down. And I don't think that's because players got worse. I think that's because defenses are getting better at this. Yeah, no, I, they're definitely getting better at this. Yeah. We've heard a lot about, you know, they, they don't coach as well or the way that they play in college, they're running, you know, the different types of pass sets that don't necessarily translate. I mean, that might be part of it, but defense is much, much more complicated. I mean, the one thing that's really taken over the NFL at this point is, you know, it's kind of like the evolution of the zone blitz with the simulated pressures where it's just very difficult to figure out who's coming from where on any particular play. And when that's happening, it's not it's it's hard for these linemen to process and to work together as a cohesive unit and to you know when you're when you're suddenly going from I mean, these guys are working before the snap, too, on what they think they're going to do. So when you have to think about three different things that you might have to do before the snap versus this one thing that you might have to do for the snap, I think that makes a very, very big difference. And when it comes to the quarterback, again, sometimes your pressure performance what I like to look at is not just avoiding sacks. It's not just escaping out of the pocket and scrambling. It's also when faced with pressure, do you know how to either a make a gain or B minimize a loss? Sometimes if you just dirt the ball into the ground, um, that may not seem like the most impressive thing to do, but if you know where the receiver is, where you can just, just throw the ball at their feet and not, and, and live and move on to live for another play. That's another thing that'll end up coming through in these numbers where if you're just grading it, you're getting a zero on a play where, where if you've got a very fast pressure come, 
uh, say your 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 tackle is completely blown away. If you dirt the if you if you can sense that coming and you dirt the ball, you get a zero probably by our grading. If you take a sack, you probably also get a zero because we're going to say it's the offensive line's fault. But those are two highly different outcomes, especially when you throw in the the probability you could you know strip sack everything else that could potentially happen in there. Right. This is one thing that I really enjoy about the uh, grades, especially when the QB annual comes out, is where you can see kind of all the things that. Um, combined for a grade where you have some players that have more big time throws, but more turnover worthy plays. You have some that have less of both, but they have similar grades and things like that. I think this is a really underrated element of it. One of my favorite stats of all time is that one year Dan Marino took six sacks in a full <laughs> season. I get make that was a huge part of his value is that the guy always got rid of the football and it's something Eli Manning did extremely well that I did uh, a Twitter thread once, which, you know, irritated people. Cause like you said, everything irritates people, but like there, there were some things inside of the numbers as you look deeper on Manning, where you could kind of get it. Why during his prime, he could win games and have like the right side of variance because his big time throws were high. His pressure to sack was not very high. Um, and I, th I think that this is something that we have to look closer at as pressure increases. Uh, let me ask you this. And then I just want to ask you who thinks is going to win the Super Bowl. Cause you know, we're not at radio row talking all Super Bowl, but, uh, do you think the league ever gets good at this ever gets good at not drafting Blake Bortles first and having it blow up in their face? Like, is there percentage gains that can be made when it comes to drafting quarterbacks that are somewhere in the numbers, in the tape, wh whatever it might be. Obviously numbers is your thing. Um, or is it always going to be this way where we just come out of the draft and three years later, we go, huh, everybody thought Darnold was going to be good. And then he wasn't who knows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's more of honestly that there isn't really that, that much that that can be done here. I mean, uh, for instance, I was having this discussion on, on, on my podcast, unexpected points, check it out. Um, that, about this whole thing of, of goats in different sports, right? And we, th we think about Tom Brady versus Michael Jordan versus Tiger Woods versus, I don't know, Serena Williams versus Wayne Gretzky. These are all the people in other sports. They're like phenoms from very young age. They immediately come in and are playing at an extremely high level. I was playing that Tom Brady had one second team all pro before he turned 30 years old in the, in the NFL. I mean, we all know about the six-round draft pick. We know about everything else, but also a lack of individual accolade success. You know, Jordan had three MVPs. Serena had like 10 majors. Tiger had 10 majors. I think Gretzky had nine different heart trophies for, for the MVP there. So if there's just something about football that's very, very difficult to really measure how good someone is and to know how they are going to progress in their career going forward. It's not just Brady. I mean, let's look at Drew Brees as someone where if their career turns a different direction, Drew Brees doesn't become Drew Brees. If Steve Young's career doesn't go a certain way, Steve Young would never have been heard of. All of these guys could have kind of fallen off in one direction or another. So I just think there is a ton of randomness. But what I will say is that I think the, the major improvements that can happen when it comes to drafting are – Draft more often, take shots more often, and not not being content with what you already have, even if you think that player is good. And that's why I was like a big advocate of the Jalen Hurts uh, uh, pick when most people were slamming it. It's kind of like not having this binary designation where Carson Wentz is the same thing as having Patrick Mahomes. It's not the same thing as having Patrick Mahomes, right? You, you, you don't just have or don't have one. So I think that's a big one. And number two is 
I know this kind of goes against the idea that you don't know what you have for a long time, but don't be afraid to after a couple, even a couple of years of poor performance, not necessarily send whoever your guy is packing, but go ahead and draft another quarterback again. Don't wait around for them. So I think like those are the areas where you can gain more is by duplicating and not just having like quarterback filled, quarterback filled change this quarterback out, insert new quarterback after so many years and so on. It's just looking at how you can take more shots, like embrace that uncertainty in a sort of way by by bringing in more options, knowing what you have is not necessarily what you think you have a year or two down the, ro- the road and vice versa. Yeah, that's a, a great way to put it. And especially too, that even if someone has a good year, that mm-hmm. doesn't mean that they're a great quarterback that you should sign to a huge contract. Right. And, you know, Baker Mayfield, I mean, if he switches his years, if he had his 2020 this year, then they're signing him to a huge contract, even though he's just not that good. Like you can get a good season out of someone and then recognize this isn't someone we need to stay with or that he meets a a certain baseline that we could also probably meet with somebody else if we bring them in. So there's that, but I I don't know that there's ever going to be an answer for how much different it is from college to the NFL. It just feels like the college game is so far behind. It would be like watching somebody play pickup basketball at the park and then saying, can they play in the NBA? (laughs) Right. It just seems impossible. Yeah, I mean, there, there aren't as many like clear markers for success. Um, You know, what's interesting though, is like we talk about some other sports where even in basketball, it used to be very much that it's actually gone in the opposite direction. They've gotten worse, if you want to say worse at at drafting, because, well, it was largely like you were just drafting these really tall centers all the time. So it's like, it's pretty easy to say he's seven foot tall, you know, draft him. So it's a sort of situation. But even then, if you think about in the past, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, Jordan is the third pick. It's like, whoa, he didn't make all the way to third. Of course, in a draft with Akeem Olajuwon, you know, Magic, LeBron, Larry Bird was a top three guy. Everyone, all these guys are in the top of the draft. And now you have Steph Curry who went later. Now you have Giannis who went extremely late. Now you have, uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard who went pretty late. Like, it, you're starting to see, even in this year, when you don't have those very clear markers for success and everything isn't as standardized as it was back in the old college basketball system and standardized in the NBA that it was, now that there are all these different ways for players to win, uh, especially these middle range sort of players, it becomes more difficult, even if they have better tools for evaluating players. Right. And the thing that you'll never, ever be able to figure out, and I know some teams, if not a lot of teams are doing this, that some teams have sports psychologists who are in the room who are like evaluating these things, which, you know, I mean, but that's the, I think it's a clever idea, but that's the thing you'll just never know. I mean, Giannis Antetokounmpo is the most driven person to get better. How will you know that? Like who knew that Dwayne Haskins, there's another world where Dwayne Haskins is really good, right? Like throws, throws a good ball, put up incredible statistics. Like you could, he was never going to be, Peyton Manning, but there's a world where if he really wanted it, that he comes to work as the first guy in and does all those things that he becomes a good NFL quarterback and Washington feels great about themselves now, but the guy was a jackass and didn't seem to care. Uh, You know, he didn't follow his COVID rules. He forgot to go out there for victory formation. You just, you know, whatever, clearly didn't know the offense, things like that. Um, Somebody told a story once about Jamarcus Russell and how their quarterback coach, who used to work for the Vikings, he gave him blank DVDs and said, I put a bunch of plays on here. Can you go <laughs> tell me which play? You've heard this one before, right? Like, yeah, tell me yeah. which plays you love. And then he came back and like, oh, they're all good. All good to go. 
Like, yeah, I didn't put anything on those DVDs. So like <laughs> did Jamarcus Russell fail because of his skills? Of course not. Or his numbers or his accomplishments is because he didn't care or didn't want it. And I don't know how you could figure that out because every guy in interviews is going to be like, Oh yeah, I want to be the next great player. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Jamarcus Russell, you know, uh, Bruce Gregkowski who does stuff for PFF. He was telling a story where he was on the Raiders back then when, uh, Jamarcus was either in his first or second season. And he was saying that the coaches would get him to, they would like beg him to go over to Jamarcus's house and like bring game film and like just put it in for him and like really try to get him. And he would have to like go pick up double cheeseburgers or something and bring them over for <laughs> Jamarcus and everything. It just was so, it was, it was, oh man, it was so, so, so funny. Yeah. Cause Jamarcus is a dude, man. It, it talk about analytics. If you looked up like how he performed, he was pretty good. He was pretty good in college. He wasn't just like a one-year type of guy either. He played pretty well for a couple of years. He had some great statistics. So, yeah, I think all those things are difficult. The thing is we don't have evidence to judge that. And I think that what I like from, from Quasi is what he said is – well, first of all, he said analytics is kind of a loaded word, and I think that there is some loaded word to it. But what he talked about is he he wanted like empirical decision-making. So it's just if you have evidence, rather than saying – well, we can't draft this guy because remember Jamarcus Russell? And so then we can't draft this guy. What you could say is, listen, we have all of these different prospects that we have information on conversations that we've had. And let's figure out a way to kind of systematize this, feed it in and say, what has in the past, what is the evidence that we have in the past? Not the theories, not the logic, not the, you know, the, the most recent thing that happened. What is the evidence that we have in the past for how well they're performed? Is it is it always going to be right? No, it's not always going to be right. But it's about trying to make better decisions, not just using, you know, the bot computer that you click, but getting real information you've collected in a variety of ways and then being able to apply that going forward. Right. Which might mean mining the scouting reports for yes certain oh things. totally mounting the yeah. mounting the scouting reports yeah i mean right. that would be a big huge a huge part of it it's just when the quote-unquote analytics comes into play it isn't like oh i remember that prospect from five years ago it's let's have everything you've said about a prospect and rating them on certain attributes one to ten maybe with some sort of thing so we can just bring it all up and study it and look into it get some ideas and then we can go and look at different things it's really just doing things in a more thoughtful way it's not even right. doing things differently like every when a coach is making a fourth down decision he's doing everything in his head that that's good that's being done in a model he's just doing it in a way using his own intuition as opposed to taking tons and tons and reams of evidence and really figuring out what may be the right decision. Right. And the thing about that is you plug all that into your supercomputer and it goes boop, 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 boop. And it spits out, I don't know, Sam Howell, yes. you but you'll, but you only get to draft Sam Howell. Like you don't get to draft a hundred Sam Howells and 42 work out. And then you're like, you know what I mean? So if you have, if there's a 42% chance that Sam Howell is a great quarterback and there's a 36% chance that Desmond Ritter's a great quarterback. You're like, oh, let's pick Sam Howell. It's the right decision. But I mean, that's not that big of a percentage chance. You know what I mean? Like yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. You only no, get you to do it be, once. You can be extremely confident you've made the right decision while also acknowledging the probability that you are right isn't necessarily that high, if that makes sense. Like you, you should always take, you should always make it. You can be very, very confident. It, it's like a fourth down decision. Again, you can be very, very confident that you should go for it on fourth down, but that doesn't mean that you think 98% of the time you're going to get it. If you go for it, it's just, you, you be confident in the decision, but not, but just understand that the results aren't necessarily going to be there. And that's what these quarterback picks are all about. And that's why you should never say for any prospect, no matter how good you think they are or how 
poor you think they are, that you know there's no scenario under which you, you'll see they'll fail. Um, they're you know they're they're a starter no matter what, or, or 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 any other quarterback you say there's no way it can work in the NFL. Neither one of those things should apply to anyone. The second to last question was 15 minutes ago. So real quick, okay. it was, <laughs> no, it was a really great discussion. This is why I love having you on the show, Kevin, because we love to peel back the layers of the statistics and you are the best at doing that. Um, but uh, Super Bowl, who are you thinking? I mean, and the Rams, I, I don't know. I feel like the Rams are kind of strangely undervalued as everyone has a little bit of a crush on Joe Burrow and the Bengals right now. I mean, they're a four and a half point favorite for a reason. And, as good as the as good of the teams as the Bengals have beaten, which you know the Titans maybe weren't that great, but of having beaten the Chiefs and do what they did, I mean the Rams have been very impressive all season. And if it weren't for four fumbles, they would have just really run through the NFC, including running right through the Buccaneers. So I, I think they they're the high level team. And again, I'm very confident that they're the right team to pick. But <laughs> right, right. I still think that still means there's a 35 percent ish sort of chance that the uh, the Bengals are going to win. So, you know, it's a better chance than flipping a coin and getting heads twice in a row. Uh, the Bengals have a better chance than that. So I'm not saying so, you know, again, it's like everyone wants to come at you afterwards saying like you could be very, very confident one team is the better team and still not know what's going to happen necessarily in the Super Bowl. Right. Plus, sometimes people think if it's below 50, it's just zero. Like oh, yeah. I mean, that, that happened right. with the election and Nate Silver <laughs> yes. and everything else. It's like yes. you were wrong. It's like, well, I said Trump had a 30 percent chance to win again. Better than flipping a right. coin twice and getting heads twice in a row. That's a pretty big chance. <laughs> right. But instead, if it's hey, if the guy only has a 30 percent chance to be good, then it's zero uh, right. at at Kevin Cole PFF on Correct. Twitter and the Unexpected Points podcast. Uh, you do tremendous, tremendous work and a must follow on Twitter for sure during uh, draft season and everything else. So really thankful that you could take the time to come on, Kevin. And uh, I appreciate you, man. Thanks. Hey, well, I love doing this. So, you know, hit me up anytime. <laughs>